Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. Street Tootie, recorded by Jabbo Smith and his Rhythm Aces, Banjo Ike Robinson on the banjo. And I believe Buster Bailey on clarinet. Jabbo Smith, what a way to start off our show. Tonight, American Grooves is celebrating some of the great trumpet players of the early years of jazz. We're calling our show Shining Trumpets. And that is for some of you uh, who may know, is the title of a 1949 book written by early historian, record producer, entrepreneur, crazy man, Rudy Blesch. And Blesch was one of the great early scholars of jazz and ragtime. He wrote a book a little bit after Shining Trumpets called They All Played Ragtime. And the distinctive thing about Shining Trumpets, Blesch's book, is that he went to 
primary sources. He went to people that were still alive. So he was interviewing some of the older New Orleans jazz men who were not even that old. They were 50 years old, maybe 60, maybe 65. And he had the wisdom and the knowledge and the taste to really figure it all out trace jazz, speak to some of the primary people, particularly trumpet players, down in New Orleans and Chicago. And Shining Trumpets is truly one of the great early pieces uh, on j- of jazz scholarship. It's one of the great books, I should say. And you can find a copy of it. You go to Amazon. I don't know if it's, a, if it's in print, but many copies were sold, and it is available. And I urge you, if you're interested in this music, to pick it up. Jabbo Smith, Shining Trumpets. And, you know, what a great way to start. Jabbo was born in Georgia, probably around 1909, and he attended the Jenkins Orphanage in South Carolina. There, like Louis Armstrong, who went to the Waifs home in New Orleans, he was given musical training, he was given a trumpet, and shortly thereafter, when he got old enough, he went out and started playing in jazz bands, which were all the rage at the time. He was with Charlie Johnson's band in Chicago at the Paradise, and then shortly thereafter, Brunswick Records contacted him. He had quite a reputation as a fiery, amazing trumpet player, and they put him in competition with Louis Armstrong, who at the time was on OK Records with the brilliant, brilliant OK Hot 5 and Hot 8 sides that Armstrong became famous uh, uh, through those recordings. Now, I would say that Jabbo didn't have sort of the lyrical brilliance of Armstrong, but he certainly had a fiery approach, a passionate style. It sounds like the horn is being pinched by him. I mean, it's just, he's blowing it to its capacity. And his scat singing, as you hear in Decatur Street 2D, is just totally off the chart. So here's another Jabbo tune. This is... um, This is the side that started his series on Brunswick, and it was recorded a little bit earlier. I believe it's late 1928, and oh, by the way, I was wrong. It's it's Casino Simpson on piano. I didn't mention that, but the clarinet player is um, not Buster Bailey, but is the great Omar Simeon, who is playing both alto sax and clarinet on these sessions. But anyway, here's the jazz battle. Jabbo Smith, Rhythm Aces, 1928. Thank you. 
I must say I was lucky enough in the mid-1980s to actually see Jabbo a few times. He was playing with this 1920s-style review show called One More Time. He was the trumpet player. They featured him on, on some amazing vocal tunes. And then he did a gig uptown somewhere. I think there was a jazz club up around Columbia University. I forget the name of it, but I saw him solo with his band there. And that was great. I remember sitting in the first row and I was up there. I shook his hand at the end. That was a real treat. I really caught the tail end of some of the 20s guys like Alberta Hunter, I heard. Uh, Fats Waller's band. Half of them were still around. So I was really lucky to have been in New York at the time in the early 1980s, mid-1980s, when some of these guys were still playing. One of the people I missed, and just about everybody did miss because he died very young, was Freddie Keppard. Now, Keppard is really the link directly after Buddy Bolden, who's considered the first real jazz player, certainly the first real jazz trumpet player. Keppard came about a little bit later, also from New Orleans, like uh, Buddy Bolden, and he actually toured with a jazz band, the Creole Band, which made a trial record for Victor in 1915. If that thing had been released, it would have been the first jazz record ever made. But unfortunately, they were scooped a couple of years later by the original Dixieland Jazz Band, a white band from New Orleans that were kind of, in my opinion, people will disagree, and they've been disagreeing with this for many years, in my opinion, their leader, Nick LaRocca, was a decent trumpet player, but he wasn't a great improviser like Keppard and some of the earlier New Orleans people. And that's another story altogether. But here is Freddie Keppard playing in 1926 at the time with the Doc Cook Band. And, you know, he, he had troubles with drinking. He, he overate. He was a man of a lot of a lot of vices, and it really caught up with him. And they say that clearly his best work was not on his recordings. And by the time he was recording in the mid and late 1920s, he was past his prime. But thank God we do have some examples of Freddie Keppard's playing. Here he is with the Doc Cook Band in 1926, the Hot Tamale Man.
Freddie Keppard and his Jazz Cardinals, one of the few solo sides he made. That one for Paramount Records in 1926 with some of his New Orleans pals in the band, Eddie Vincent on trombone and the great Johnny Dodds on clarinet. You know, the the link to Keppard in New Orleans, if we follow it via Chicago, because they all wound up in Chicago, all these players that actually left New Orleans, but King Oliver is a contemporary of Freddie Keppard, perhaps a little bit younger, but really the same generation of trumpet players. They're basically the second generation after Buddy Bolden, and King Oliver, way more famous and way more uh, recorded 
than uh, Keppard. And of course, Oliver is known as the as the band that brought new, you know Louis Armstrong to Chicago. Louis was brought up there in 1922. His idol was Joe King Oliver. And Oliver was at the Dreamland Cafe in Chicago. He was the hot band at the moment. And here's a couple of his sides. We're not featuring the Louis sides because Louis tends to dominate those. But here you're going to hear King Oliver's style. One of his great trumpet features called Snagit. And after that is the Jackass Blues. King Oliver and his Dixie Syncopators in 19. 19- 26. Thank you. 
King Oliver and his band in 1926, the Jackass Blues. That was Georgia Taylor on vocal. Another great New Orleans player, also one that really didn't make it too much on his own. He's featured on some wonderful records. Punch Miller. Punch Miller was a New Orleans trumpet player, also from the Oliver era, actually closer in age, I believe, to Louis Armstrong, but pretty close in age to Oliver as well. They all were perhaps 15 years away from each other in terms of their birthdays. But Punch Miller went up to Chicago like so many other New Orleans musicians in the early 1920s. And here he is with Albert Wynn's Gut Bucket Five playing the Parkway Stomp, and he blows it out of the park. That is an extremely exciting recording. I, I love the sort of double ending. There's a, po- there's a point where you think it stops, then he just blows it out again, and they keep going, and they do another coda, and it's over. You know, you can only do so much on a three-minute phonograph record. 78 RPM records, 10-inch records, usually they're about two and a half minutes, no more than three 
10, 320 aside, that's three minutes and 20 seconds. So you really had to have a trim arrangement. You had to limit the solos. You couldn't really do it the way you would play it live. No doubt these bands were playing way longer versions of most of what they recorded because live they were playing for dancers, just like me. You know, my band, Hoodoo Loungers, we play some tune, and if people are on the dance floor and they're having a ball, we just keep going. We just keep doing more solos. We, we just take it where it needs to go for those people to have a ball. And that is no doubt what was going on in the Dreamland Cafe and all the places where these bands were playing. Thank God for the phonograph records. At least it's something. But anyway, they were jazz players, so you know that they were stretching it out. It's so impossible to avoid Louis Armstrong and his tremendous influence. I remember about 15 years ago, I, I had made a film about Louis Primer, another New Orleans trumpet player, born in 1910, and really just almost a generation uh, younger than Louis. But I was talking at a screening, and uh, someone asked me, well, you know, do you think Louis Prima was influenced by Louis Armstrong. <laughs> and I really gave the wrong answer. I said, well, you know something? In New Orleans, I think Armstrong's style was not totally his. I think there were other trumpet players that were scat singing and singing with that type of voice and playing. I was wrong. And Dan Morgenstern, who was for many years the director of the Rutgers Jazz Institute, got up and put me in my place. And I always regret making that comment. Louis Armstrong is the beginning and the end for most of the influential players that were during his time and also shortly thereafter. Now, to stress that, we're going to play a Louis side it's a duet with him and pianist Earl Hines done in Chicago in, I think it's, I think it's 1929 or 30. It's sort of at the end of their relationship uh, where they were playing together. But it is just a brilliant piece, and it is called Weatherbird. <laughs> Thank you. 
singing the blues. Bix Spiderbeck with Frankie Trombauer. Eddie Lang on guitar, I believe. Frank Signorelli on piano. One of the great masterpieces of trumpet playing. You're really getting into Bix's head when you listen to that solo. This lyrical, modern style that he had. And just like Louis Armstrong, Bix was an extremely influential player. There were disciples of Bix that were his age and older and younger, and they went on and on. Uh, a very different style from Lewis, but all as brilliant. I hope you're enjoying this Sunday night's episode of the American Grooves Radio Hour. I'm Joe Lauro, and we are playing 78 RPM records from my collection. No MP4s, the real thing. I'm transferring them on my turntable onto a CD. Then I put them into my computer. Man, I learned a lot to be on the radio. And we're playing them here at WLIWFM 88.3 on your radio dial. And you can stream our show at WLIWradio.org. If you can't make it on Sunday night at 10 o'clock, I understand it. Tune it in some other time. We'd love to have you listen to us. Well, back to the trumpet players, shining trumpets. Henry Allen, another New Orleans player. He was from a dynasty of New Orleans musicians. This was not uncommon. Lorenzo Tio Jr. was a great clarinet player from the 20s and 30s. His father, Lorenzo Tio Sr., taught many, many reed players their stuff, including Johnny Dodds and many others. And Henry... Alan, his father, was a great musical teacher. Henry was, uh, this is Henry Allen Jr., and he came to New York. He played with Lewis Russell's band and many, many other people, many Harlem bands. And he got to do some sides on his own for Victor Records, then a little bit later on the ARC label during the Great Depression. But here's a 1930s side that he did on Victor, and it's called Make a Country Bird Fly. Oh, boy, she looks at me, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Henry Red Allen, born 1909, Algiers, Louisiana, which is really very close to New Orleans, really part of New Orleans. And he went on and on. He played after Lewis Russell. He was with the Fletcher Henderson Band, then the Lucky Millinder Band. And, you know, a lot of these players settled in New York. And there was a revival of traditional jazz in the 50s and 60s. And they played at places like Eddie Condon's and Nick's and Greenwich Village in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And they were kept employed. They did tours of Europe. Allen died in New York of pancreatic cancer in 1967 and fortunately made a slew of great phonograph records where we can to this day enjoy his amazing style. Jack Purvis was sort of a trumpet wild man, a man of mystery. Uh, legend has it he was a gun runner. He was a, you know, a weed seller. He was, you know, he, he just had all these other lives. He was always one step in front of the law. I believe he was a bank robber. He just had this amazingly colorful career. I've been hearing for years about people developing screenplays about this guy's life, but he also happened to be an amazing trumpet player. He loved Louis Armstrong, duh, so many people did. And on his own, he recorded maybe six or seven sides under his own name, but is featured on so many records during the late 20s, early 1930s. Here's one of his own sides under his own name on the OK record label, I think around 1930, and it kind of sums up Purvis in general. It's called Mental Strain at Dawn.
Crazy man Jack Purvis in 1929. Mental strain at dawn. Purvis's recording career ended around 1935-36. Not sure what happened to him after it. I know he had a daughter. People approached her to try to get some information about their father. She had lost contact with him. They don't even know when he died. I don't actually know. That's true. I think he passed away in the early mid-1960s, living in the Midwest. Jack Purvis. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed some of what we've played tonight, or maybe all of it, some of the great trumpet players from the early years of jazz. I, I tend to like the blues-based players, meaning that when jazz kind of crossed into bebop, blues wasn't really the dominating force behind the great trumpet solo, nor was the type of melody that I like, which is basically Tin Pan Alley songs where the trumpet player would state the lead, embellish a little bit and never really get too far away. Bebop and what came after that really changed it. But we have a link to Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie somewhere right in the middle. And his name was Roy Eldridge, Little Jazz. And Roy lived long enough to play at Nick's in Greenwich Village Everyone loved him. He was an amazing, amazing player, a strong player, a great singer and everything. And here he is, one of his first solo recording sessions, 1935, Roy Eldridge, After You've Gone.
Well, folks, I hope you've enjoyed the show. This is your host, Joe Laro, signing off. Until next week, keep listening. Okay, America! The American Grooves Radio Hour is brought to you weekly on WLIW-FM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial, and at WLIW.org and all streaming formats.